today's going to be a perfect interview about sports overseas. See, it's a very interesting topic because born and raised in the United States, a lot of us, especially sports fans and whatnot, we don't really understand what's going on overseas when it comes to athletics, but there is a lot of talent over there, but the game is different. So today we're bringing on a former professional athlete and coach who played overseas in Europe, who, who, who played his high school ball and college ball here in the United States, played in Europe uh, for a very long time, is an author now, and he's helping others understand the European game because a lot of the athletes that come out of the United States end up playing overseas. The majority of them do, and there's a lot of talent over there. But what he's doing is he's helping out all these athletes understand how to get through some of the, the transitional things that he had to go through when he got over there because the game is a little bit different, and the way that it's ran is a little bit different. So you have to be able to adjust. So we're going to learn about flexibility, uh, being humble. We're going to learn about teamwork. We're going to be learning about the financial stuff overseas when you're playing ball over there and a lot more. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game time. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with you for another episode, another interview here on the show. We're five years running into this podcast, 92 different countries, over 75,000 downloads. We appreciate everybody's support who has been here with me, whether it was from day one or maybe this is your first time listening or catching an episode. And if you're listening to this a couple weeks out, maybe you're watching this on, on YouTube, maybe you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, who knows? I just appreciate you guys being here. If you guys could do me a favor, anybody who's listening to this who hasn't had the opportunity to do so yet, if you have an iPhone or any kind of Apple device, just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That's what people always say. How can I support you? How can I support you? Just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get it to more people. So the reality of the situation is for podcasters, some people don't like to say this, but I have no fear in this transparency. Reviews are what actually get you out to more people. Um, if you can get more reviews, Apple will push it to more people. The podcast gets out to more people. So if you want your story to be heard or your friend's story to be heard, have them leave a review and we can push this out to more people. So uh, just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Definitely helps me out. But guys, today, very special um, interview because you guys know that I coach basketball and it's a, it's a passion of mine. I, I love hooping. And the European game, the overseas game, has always been something of interest to me. I've interviewed other athletes on the show who have who've played sports overseas in different countries. Um, and I've also, and not just basketball, I've had guys who played football overseas, hockey overseas, um, and, and baseball overseas, which is crazy. Um, and it's always been something of interest to me. But today we get to bring on truly an expert in this field. Uh, his name is Sean McCaw, and he's going to be talking. He's He's got experience as a player as well as a coach, and now he's an author. He's got a book out, and he's going to be able to help people um, understand this type of thing. So we're going to get to know Sean and his story more. So, Sean, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So let's let's rewind the clock a little bit, Sean, and and yeah. tell people a little bit about your basketball background. Um, obviously, they know now that you played over there, but we want to know before that. Let's talk about your bas basketball background, where you're from, and where you played. Um, I am originally from Las Vegas, Nevada. I am a state champion in the good old state of Nevada. And then after after high school, I moved on to the University of Arizona. Where I played for one year. 
Um, I, I was an idiot and left after one year uh, playing for, for Coach Olson, Coach Lute Olson. And then I went to uh, Dixie College in St. George. George, Utah for one year. That was back when they were, they were still a junior college. And then I went to Southern Utah University for my remaining two years in, in Cedar City, Utah. And yeah, and I had a pretty decent career, I would say, there. I'm in the, the SUU Hall of Fame. That's my, my alma mater back there that I'm always repping. Um, and yeah, and then after, after college, then I went overseas and I've been here pretty much ever since 1995. Wow, that's actually really cool. So here's a funny connection. My mom actually went to Dixie State when it was a two-year school. So <laughs> that's, inter- that's, that's funny. I didn't know that piece, to be honest. And I have other friends down in St. George, uh, guys I serve missions with and so forth that also right. went to Dixie, which is crazy. I did not know that piece. So <laughs> that's cool. Um, when you were going, so it, during your collegiate experience, you, you kind of like briefly went over, Hey, I was state champion. Then I went into the college game. Can you explain to the, maybe the listeners here before we get into your professional career, the transition, um, maybe the struggles too, like going from high school, your state champion high school, going to a D one school, like you have a, under a really well-known coach, but were there any struggles, uh, transitioning to that next level, even though you were a high level athlete? Oh yeah. For me, it was, it was. It was incredible. It was the transition from from high level high school player to high level uh, college team was enormous. It was the the speed of the game, the 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 athleticism of the game. I was pretty athletic, but when I got my my first game in, I'm, I'm sorry, not my first game, my first practice at University of Arizona, it was like another world. I mean, I had I had future pros on the court with me. I had Damon Stoddard was my was my roommate. We were freshmen at the same time. He was my roommate. Um, I had Chris Mills, who played the same position as me at the three. I had Sean Rooks, who ended up playing in the in the league for some years. Um, who else played in the leagues? I had Matt Othick, who was also from Vegas, um, at the point guard. It was Khalid Reeves. I, I mean, we had wow. we had a really really impressive squad back then, and to be a part of that was amazing. But as far as the transition goes, the speed of everything was the, 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 the strength of the passing. I, they called me thumbs for the first weeks I was there because I was always dropping passes because I wasn't used to how hard these guys were throwing passes. It was incredible. And so un, until you get really adjusted to that, for me, it took maybe a little bit more time than others, but it was, that was a, a huge transition. Man, that's, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Just a simple concept that people might not even realize passing the ball. Like when you mm-hmm. pat like, and I, and I can actually relate. I never played at that level, but even at the high school level, I remember one year we had uh, just playing on the varsity level, going from the JV level to the varsity level with our particular program. There was a pretty big difference there. And I'm so glad you brought that up because now that I think of it, there were some times where I was like, crap, I need to. And that's where <laughs> my coach actually stressed the passing. And we would actually go and we would do drills with a medicine ball and we do one, one-handed you know, step right. through passes with right. a medicine ball, five with our right hand, five with our left, chest passes, bounce passes, and overhead with the medicine ball. And then we'd go to the actual basketball <laughs> and it'd feel like a styrofoam little tiny, like, shoom, like flinging it. And I realized, I was like, oh, they've been doing this. JV, we don't do this on JV, but they've been doing this for, right. you know, two, three years now. Right. No wonder they can pass. That's funny that you said that. Holy cow. It's a I've never big actually, difference. <laughs> it's the intricacies of the game like that. People might not, the general fan or whatever, might uh, the casual fan, I should say, might not even realize that passing the ball is a big difference at different levels of the game. Right. Because uh, they make it look so easy, but right. there is a little difference there. So, you know, as as far as like, you went from different schools to different schools. Going from U of A to, to Dixie, um, 
did you have any like I, I want to talk about this from the pride factor was there a pride type of thing where you're like man i i'm better than this kind of thing and and how did you actually like and if there wasn't that's great but like if they if what was the transition to that like because some people will be like i'm not it's d1 or bust and they don't want to do anything and, and and they don't realize that there is a lot that you can learn at that level as well which it shows that like i think you went there and then you were able to go over to suu i'm just curious that that specific transition as well going from a top tier program to dixie and seeing what you can learn from those experiences as well still well i'm a very humble person and i i have to admit that i really screwed up at the university of arizona i had a uh, a terrible time there, and um, but it was mostly my fault just being young and inexperienced in a, a head like this because I was I was a pretty highly recruited guy and coming out of high school and when all these schools tell you you're great you're you're the next best thing since peanut butter and jelly um, it's hard for a 17 18 year old kid to to really calm down and and after I left uh, the U of A um, there was no 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 thing where I thought I was better than Dixie Junior College because Actually, I knew that I was going to go back D1 and, and all the schools that recruited me or not all the schools, but a lot of the major schools that recruited me out of high school, I knew would still recruit me out of junior college. I was going there partly for my grades to get everything up. So it wasn't about athletic ability or anything like that. It was just getting back onto the level where I was before. And I, I didn't hardly play that year in, in, at Arizona, so I needed to play the original thought was for me to go to another D1 when I left Arizona. But then it was like, no, I need to play somewhere. You know, I've only got a couple more years left. I need to play. So me going to Dixie was actually one of the best decisions I made, one of them. And then the decision to go to Southern Utah, which was a total surprise to everyone that recruited me um, and even to myself. Um, that was that was the maybe one of the top things that I've ever done in my life. But for me, it wasn't humbling. To It wasn't it wasn't something bad to go down to junior college. And we had a really good team. We were 30 and three. We were ranked number two in the nation um, behind uh, Idaho, what, what, College of Southern Idaho. Oh, yes. College of Southern Idaho. <laughs> yes, I. They, we lost three times that year, all three against uh, against them. So for me, the, the, the competition level was, was incredible at, at Dixie. And um, so for me, there was, there was no problem for me to go to a junior college because i knew i was going back d1 it was just a question of where totally and i appreciate you saying that too because you know um there is some good talent at the juco level and and, and oh, yeah. the other the other aspect of it was you needed to play sometimes like there's there's a lot of experiences you can have from being on the bench and being around guys and competing at, at, and you know mm -hmm. and and waiting for your turn and that's fine and i believe that some people should wait it out like mm -hmm. as long as you're putting in the work but there are some benefits to getting reps like game reps um, yeah. even if it's at the junior college level, game reps are huge. You got to be able to, there's one thing to go and shoot the ball 500 times every single morning, <clears throat> make, make a hundred or make a thousand shots, whatever you want to do. But there's another thing of playing games and, and in game situations, you, you have to be able to go through those experiences to be able to be trusted in those times, um, right. and understand that. So another thing about that is, which is interesting is your, your transfer to, well, your, your move over to SUU. I have a friend of mine named Nick, Nick Fitzgerald. Who actually played at SUU, but I think it was a few years after you. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it was more of the late '90s time frame. But he was a mm -hmm. post over there. He's like six nine, six ten. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting because I don't, I didn't know much about SUU. So if you don't mind talking about uh, quickly, like going over <clears throat> your experience at SUU, Southern Utah University, and uh, what it was like and what that did to help you for the next level of basketball. 
Well, this, I got to go back a little bit to the story of how I actually came to, to Southern Utah. I was getting hotly recruited again when I was when I was leaving Dixie. I, I had a, a whole lot of um, things going on, and I, had, I think I had my, my visit scheduled for Wake Forest, um, New Mexico State, um, USC, and uh, I can't remember the fourth and the fifth. But I had five visits at very high level D ones lined up. No, I had four. I had four all lined up. I had one remaining. And I ended up going to a spring football game in Southern Utah because my 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 buddy was was going to school there and he played on the spring football team. I wanted to go to the party that they were having after that, and I, I ran into Coach Bill Evans, um, who at the time was was the head coach. And I pretty much said, "Hey, if you organize a hotel room for me right now for tonight, then I will stick around and do my I'll take my last official visit here." And um, he, his jaw dropped because they never actually recruited me because they thought I was I was going to go somewhere big. I mean, it was right. that was a kind of a given. They never actually recruited me, and Coach Evans joked at me, joked joked to me at that game that you know how about coming to Southern Utah and that's how it that's how it all came started. And uh, so he dropped he, he his jaw drops. He he gets on the phone. He had the old Motorola gray, uh, gray big gray one with the long antenna. And, and he made some calls and he made it happen. And, and that was for me, the first sign like, hey, they really want me, you know? They never recruited me, but he's willing to stick his, his arm out and try to get me here for the weekend. So what I did was I went to the party the next day. Um, they, they took me around campus and, and everything was really, really nice. And I've got a family that lives in St. George that, that while I was at Dixie, um, they kind of adopted me in a, in a kind of way. They were like my, my family, uh, LDS family as well. And, um, and the mom worked for Dixie and she was, she would always tell me like, Sean, you, you've got two years left. It's, it's okay to be a big fish in a small pond, but that was just kind of talk. You know, this was not while Southern Utah was recruiting me, you know? So, but those, those words kind of hung in my head. So as I'm going through the, the, weekend vacation or not vacation uh, the, the um recruiting trip um i'm i'm really like it's really like hitting me like this is a place that i could be you know it's a small school at that time they were they were still independent they weren't they were d1 but they were independent they weren't in a in a conference and coach kind of just told me like what i wanted to hear like that he would change everything for me you know he was going to change his whole recruiting process if i came um, that, that I would be the mo the focal point of the, the team. And, and I'm thinking, hey, I've only got two years left. I need to be somewhere as the focal point. Totally. And I'm sorry to make this a long story short. I had a great weekend and I ended up calling my, my mom, um, my Utah mom, Edie. I ended up calling her on the phone at like two o'clock in the morning, the last night before I, I, was, I was about to go back to St. George. And I called her and I said, hey, I had a great time here. They're, they're really you know, bending over backwards for me. Um, what do you think? And she told me once again, it's okay to be a, a big fish in a small pond. And so I, I hung up with her and thought about it for ne next like hour or so before I finally fell asleep. Next morning at like seven o'clock, I get the, the knock on the door from the assistant coach. I had already signed the letter of intent. They, they, gave, they gave you the, 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 they gave me the package with the letter of intent and all of that in there. But they were like, kind of like, okay, here he he he's not going to sign this. And that morning, I just woke up. I I was like, this is going to be the move. 
I signed it and I gave it to the assistant coach and he didn't even look at it because why, <laughs> you know? Totally. And, um, and then I said, Hey, you might want to take a look in that envelope there. And then he saw the signed letter of intent and then he just gave me a, the biggest hug and it was like, okay, it was meant to be. So my career in, in Southern Utah from the start was a surprise, but um, it was great. The first year I was there, we were independent. We had a great team. Um, I was independent All-American. Um, we, we did a, a, a pretty good job. Didn't make it into the into at-large bid or anything like that, but we had a very good season. Then my second year, we were in the now, now defunct um, America West uh, Conference that yep. was only around for a couple of years. And um, we ended up winning the, the league title and the conference championship. And yeah, I had, a, I, 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 I had two really, really good years there. And so that was it for me. Man, that is like, as I'm sitting here, I'm typing notes down. <clears throat> if you see my head go down while I'm yeah. talking, that's because I like, <laughs> I like to take notes while you're talking. Mm -hmm. um, because that's such an interesting, unique journey um, that's unexpected. But what I love about it, Sean, is the fact that you like were willing to just kind of do that. Like you, you were willing to do something that's unique. You didn't have to go the the traditional route of everything. You went somewhere right. unique and it obviously ended up being a great experience for you. You got to have an yeah. amazing experience at a great school. And, um, and it's kind of cool to hear like the, the little, the little background. Those are the things that I like to hear from the athletes is the background stories like that and how you ended up somewhere. Cause somebody might just see that you played for Southern Utah and just assume like that's where you wanted to go your whole entire career. You know, like when you were mm -hmm. in high school, maybe you love Southern Utah and you had ties to that place. <laughs> but no, there's a story behind it. So right. I love that, man. So we talked about the transition from the high school game to the college game. Mm -hmm. Now it's my, my uh, chance to ask you about the, the transition to the professional game. Now, Sean, when you were done with your collegiate career, did you have aspirations to play in the league or did you know that you kind of wanted to go overseas and, and, and test your talents over there as a player? Well, truthfully, nobody wakes up and thinks, hey, I'm going to go practice early in the morning and get these reps in before class um, because I want to play in Europe. Yay. I, I mean, let's be honest. Nobody, yeah. nobody does that. <laughs> so, of course, I had those aspirations to play in the NBA, and, and I had been looked at by some scouts during our, our season. I, I, that was very clear to me. I knew I wasn't going to be a draft pick. That was very clear for me, but I was hoping to latch on in um, – on as a free agent somewhere and and i was supposed to play with the jazz um during the rocky mountain review but uh -huh. the year was 1995 what was 1995 the first nba lockout okay. so everything was shut down that year so um for me it was like no one knew how long the lockout would last this, this is the very first lockout and it lasted quite a quite a, a lengthy period of time actually but for a guy as impatient as I am, um, there was no waiting around for me. So my agent at the time was an Italian guy. And it was like, okay, well, do you want to wait this out or do you want to go overseas? And I decided, okay, let's go overseas. I just want to play. And I had an offer from an Italian team, a pretty big Italian team. But then they, they kind of withdrew it or kept me on hold because they were waiting to see how long the lockout would, would last because they had enough money to pay for an uh, NBA guy, like a fringe NBA guy, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it was like, it's better for us if we get an NBA guy than a, a guy out of a small college in Utah. So they kind of pushed back on my, on my contract. And while we were waiting, I was like, hey, I told my agent, hey, man, I just want to play somewhere. I don't care about the money. I just want to play. So he said, oh, listen, there's a team in Austria that's been ringing my phone 
for, for the last weeks and they really, really want you. The money is really, really terrible, but especially compared to what I was being offered in, in, in Italy. And it was like, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, let's go. And I think three days later, I was on a plane over to Austria. Knew absolutely nothing about Austria. It was a, a total mess for me, but um, as a guy just starting out, but I learned pretty much on the fly and, and had, a, had a pretty decent career. So man, so I'm I'm just thinking I'm actually stressed for you at the moment, just like thinking about that. Like <laughs> I'm like, oh okay, so we're going change plans. That's yeah. a big life change. I think right. I mean just put into the normal person's perspective. Let's just imagine you have a job and you're working this, and all of a sudden someone says, Oh, we got something over here, and you're gonna pack up everything, head over there, having not been there before. Three days later, yeah. you're you're in a completely different country, you're and that's where you're gonna be working. Um yeah, that's a little so, stress. Uh, that's a little it's, stress. It's, and, and that's how it is for all Americans that or all foreigners, period, that come across the, the pond to play in Europe. It's it's really like you have to be ready on the drop of a dime to go. It, it, it was really literally maybe even two days before. I, I told my agent like one day, and I think he, he negotiated maybe a little bit more money. And then it was like, okay, here's the contract, sign it, fax it back, and your plane ticket is going to be ready tomorrow. Man. That I mean, that shows the dedication that you had, obviously, to and the willingness and want to play, like you wanted to play. Um, right. When you arrived in in Austria, though, like tell tell us about that, though. You didn't know it, um, and part of the game over there is just transitioning to the culture. Like you got to understand the culture exactly. of what's going on. Like you, did you just stay in your room and then go to play basketball and go <laughs> right back, or did you try to kind of venture out and talk to people? How was the language barrier? Was there any kind of were there people there speaking with you? Was it fine? Like were you able to? Because that's I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I just want to know all the different cultural things that you had to deal with outside of the game of basketball itself. Right. Well, I mean, you got to realize this is 1995. This is the very, very beginning of the internet age. Like, I didn't even have an email account back then. So there was, it was literally um, making phone calls. There was no Skype. There was no, uh, nothing what we have today, right? So my first phone bill was like six or seven hundred dollars and i was only making one thousand two hundred dollars a month at that time oh, wow so it, it was definitely a, a culture shock and and europe is older than america it, you have to adapt to europe and not the other way around you're not going to go out there and or come out here and think you're you're in, a, in, in america uh-uh no i was in a tiny town in austria um Nobody really spoke English back then because, of course, this is pre-internet internet age, so it's not like English is the, the, the predominant language overseas. Right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, a total culture shock. I'll I, I tell you a quick story. The, my, my welcome to Europe moment. I walk into the gym for my first practice, and it's literally – this is their this is their – home game place literally i don't know four or five hundred people maximum that fit inside this gym wow my high school my high school gym fit a thousand southern utah where i just left was a a, a mid-major five and a half thousand seats i'm walking to this gym and i'm like well, hey where's all the where's all the people at you know it's like oh. where are they all gonna fit <laughs> So that was my 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 welcome to your moment that it's it's different over here. It's not the same. It's not the same level. It's not the same game. Um, and um, you've got to you got to adjust really really fast. So when I first got there, um, I was I'm I'm a very outgoing person, and I was luckily 
are lucky enough to have two Americans on my team already that had been out there for a longer period of time and they both spoke German. So that helped me a great deal. If there wasn't for them, it would have been rough. Oh man, I can imagine. Oh my gosh. Okay. So a couple of things to unpack on that too, then Sean, because <laughs> you mentioned the, 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 the price of things, right? You know, at that particular point, you were making 1200 bucks a month. Now, right. some people want to know, there are some perks to playing overseas from what I've heard from players uh, yes. that I know, because that money in some places essentially is like, that's how much you take. Whereas like here, if you're making that money, it's taxed, you know, all the heck. Right. And then over right. there, like they can see, you had to pay for a phone bill. Apparently sometimes people say, Oh, they pay for your phone and for your transportation right. and your, and your rent. So that right. money that you make actually you take home. Um, it doesn't sound like that was necessarily the experience at that particular point. Uh, but was, were there some perks, I guess, if you will, to being over there yes. as compared to maybe playing here, um, making 30 grand in the G league or something, even though that wasn't like the concept at the time, but like, you know what I mean? Yes. No, I mean, I, I write about that exactly, exactly that point in my book, because it took me a couple of years before I started making really good money. Right. So my first year, like I said, I was making 1,200 euros or dollars a month. So what you have to think about is there are perks to that. It might sound very low, $1,200. Okay, I can make that in McDonald's back home. But when, if you think about the things that you do not have to pay for as a professional athlete or a professional basketball player, at least in Europe, you don't pay for your rent. You don't pay for your car. You don't pay for your car insurance. You don't pay for your electricity. You don't pay for, sometimes you don't pay for very much gas. Um, what else? I got two meals a day, breakfast and dinner. Um, so that's, uh, that adds up as well. Um, what else do you not pay for? There's pretty much the only thing that I really had to pay for was my entertainment, like going out to the bar or going out to the club or, or my phone bill, which was, was at that time huge. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much entertainment money. Um, you have access to, to all these things that you don't have to pay for, but if you, if you put all the, oh, big one, health insurance, don't have to pay for health insurance. Your, your money is taxed, but it's taxed by the team. The team has to pay for it. So you're not, it's not coming out of your pocket necessarily. Um, but one myth that I must get out there right now, your money is not, is, is not totally tax-free. You have to pay when you get back to America. Uncle Sam wants his money, right? So it's, it, it's tax-free technically in Europe, but that doesn't mean you don't have to pay your taxes back home. So that's a, a, a very big misconception that people have that, that they make all this money over in Europe and then they come back home and, um, and they've got all this huge amount of money that's tax-free. No, it's not like that. So even if you, if, even if you um, wire transfer uh, money back home, anything over 10,000 euros or $10,000 gets a red flag. They're gonna come after that. So these guys that are making millions of dollars um, over here, when they get back home, they have to pay their taxes or if they're making 5,000 a month or 10,000 a month, it doesn't matter. They're paying taxes back home. Ah, I'm glad you cleared that, cleared that up because that is one of the common questions that comes up and people are like, oh, well, that sounds nice. <laughs> so it is, you know, it, it is, but like, you still have to, yeah. Like, I love how you said it. Uncle Sam still wants his dollar, dude. Like he's going to want, right. he wants his money. Um, the the whole atmosphere thing that you mentioned when you first got there welcome to europe moment right like there's not as many fans there it's not as big that's what's interesting to me um 
it depends on the country. It depends on the team, the, the program, like the organization, because like there's so. different different tiers to everything over very there. Right. But um, do you still feel like the professional game? So like people always look at like, uh, for example, Lamelo Ball. I know that that's a weird topic. Some people are like, okay, that whole family is completely just disorganized. But one of the things that they said um, when he went over to Lithuania with his brother to play for like half a season before they decided to bounce, that was a crap situation. So it was a weird yeah. look at that particular situation. It didn't look like there was a lot of fans at those games. Um, it looked like it was kind of a lower tier league, if you will. It just didn't look like top level basketball. But what he did say mm -hmm. once was that it taught him how to be a pro, train like a pro, uh, weightlifting, that type of stuff, and you have to go to practice. But I want to know from your perspective, having played top level high school in the in the United States, you played at the you know the Division One level in the United States. You know what high level basketball requires. Was there a transition to the professional game, like uh, additional training that's required to play at that level, even in Europe? No, not really, because when you come from a, a high level um, D one or D two or D three, it doesn't matter. Um, you're pr pretty properly trained already. Um, for me, it wasn't a big transition. Like I didn't have that transition moment from high school to college, like I did from college to pro, because I was already thinking like a pro. So I was already training myself and doing things that I needed to do and take care of my body, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because it's your job, mm -hmm. then it becomes your job. So you, you do that 24 seven, you have to really take care of everything. So it wasn't like that for me, but the thing that's really crazy is that it's not for everybody. Like you mentioned LaMelo Ball. It just, European basketball is not for everyone. And and he did play actually on a higher level team. But some of the clips I saw, they were playing against like kids. They were playing like like the under 21 team and stuff like that. So it's a, it was a weird thing that they had going on out there. Um, but you definitely have to adjust over here that's the, the 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 big thing it's a it's really a different style of play and it's not that that like lamello ball dribbling 20 times and and then going for layup like they 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 pride themselves over here for team basketball and moving without the ball cutting um things like that so it's not that one not so one-on-one -on -one dominant and i think that's the thing that a lot of americans struggle with they come over here that are thinking they're going to dribble 20 times go around the back between their legs and if they miss that shot, the coach is going to be like, hey, sub him out. No, that's not happening here. So, and then they get frustrated because that's the style of play what they're used to in America, but that necessarily doesn't translate to European basketball. And that's what a lot of guys, I, I, I personally know a lot of guys that played um, much better than me, that were much better players than me, but couldn't hack it over here because they couldn't adjust. And um, it, takes a, it takes a special athlete to to come over here, be away from your family for nine, 10 months out of the year, um, homesickness, all the things, language barriers, um, uh, food, culture, everything different, and still perform on a high level because you have to put all of that away. Nobody cares that you're homesick. If you're not right. producing on the court, they will send you home and you won't be homesick anymore. So um, th there's a lot of guys that were way more talented than me, but I could adapt and some guys can't. Totally. Is there any advice you'd give to the the younger guys who are, you know, making their ways to play overseas that you would say, hey, here's something that worked for me to be able to adapt? I mean, it's easy to say yeah, I need to adapt, but was there something that you did specifically that a lot like mentally to get yourself to the point where it's like, I'm OK, dropping everything that 
at, 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 whenever they say I can go in two days to go do this, like I, I can get myself mentally prepared for that. Is there anything you'd advise or is this written in your book as well? Cause I want to talk about your book here in just a second as well. It's, it's no, it's seriously. And that's what I write in the book as well. I had a 13 year career over here mainly because I was able to adapt. I was able to be flexible. I think the most important thing is it's not just the, what, what goes on the court out here. It's not just the, the X's and O's. It's not just how many points you score, things like that. It's really about your mentality as a person. And if you can handle, like I said before, living away from your family for nine or 10 months, um, because that really drags, the, the mental side of it is, is crazy. And um, so you have to adapt to Europe. Europe is not going to adapt to you. And if your coach says he wants the game played this way and you decide you don't want to play that way, you will be sent home. Like that has to be clear to you. You are a professional. And if you are not doing what you are supposed to be doing, they will fire you and send you home and find someone else that will. So I think the really, the, the really most important thing is just a mentality thing that you are able to, to change your game a little bit while while still producing as the person that they brought you over here to be. I dig that. And it goes back to what you said. If I circle back to the very beginning of this interview, you were talking about how, you know, humble being humble is probably a big uh, piece of being able to have success over there. You mentioned yourself like that. That's a pretty good trait to have um, if you want to be successful overseas. You know, I want to ask you, Sean, what was your favorite memory? You know, 13 years you've you've played and coached. So mm -hmm. I want to know your favorite memory. There's probably been tons of programs, organiz I should say organizations you've played for um, and different countries you've been in. Is there right. a favorite country, a favorite memory? Maybe let's do this favorite country you've played for. And then I'll ask you about your favorite basketball memory, but what, okay. what's your favorite country you played in and why? Um, I guess my favorite country would have to be Germany. That's where I ended my career as well. And I'm still living in Germany um, partly because I could speak the language. I'm fluent in German, but I had learned it while I was in Austria. I was in Austria for five years, and there, there I learned, I learned German. So, but German basketball has taken huge strides, and and it's ultra professional here, ultra professional, and you get your money on time. I never had any any of those things that those problems. I, I have to say, I was very lucky in my career. I didn't have those horror stories that I didn't get paid on time. There was only one team that didn't pay me on time but I got all my money just as they had promised a couple of weeks later. So, um, but I mean, Germany was definitely the, the, the place where I love to play the most from the style of play, from the arenas, from, from the, the, just the overall German mentality of everything being exactly how it should be, um, which fits me kind of good. So um, Germany is probably my, my favorite now. Oh, I love that, man. That's super cool. Now, out of all those years, maybe it still is in Germany, but do you have a favorite basketball memory, either a specific game or a practice or anything that sticks out to you that you'd be willing to share? Well, I mean, I've, I've won championships on every level that I've been. And I have to say that my first professional championship was in Austria and my first two. And my first, they have, they have different competitions here. They have the cup, which is like a tournament. Think Mad, Mad, March Madness in the middle of the season. Oh yeah. Kind of like a knockout tournament. That's the cup. And then they have um, your regular, regular season like normal. And of course, at the end of the season, they crown a champion. And in my fifth season in Austria, we won both, my team won both the cup and 
the title against my former team where I had been four years before. So of course, playing against your, your, your former team is also that added emotional kind of boost. So my, my, to answer your question, finally, um, my best moment was winning the season championship at our place against my former team and me hitting the, the and one to seal the game. Oh, dude, that's so sick. Yeah. That is so sick. That's and the moment. I, I dig that. Is there like you mentioned the cup right in the middle of the season? This or any other things? Are there any parts of the European game, the style of like the way that they run their their leagues that you would like to see implemented into the National Basketball Association here in the United States? You know, they're thinking about doing a, a cup kind of s situation, a tournament during the season. And I think it, it, they should do it. I really think they should do it. Um, I don't know how taxing that would be for the players and, and things like that. We only we only play generally one to maybe two times per week. Of course, NBA plays three or four times a week. So it's a, it's a different situation. But it's it's really like a March Madness in the in the season. And um, anything they always say in every in every country I've ever been to, they always say anything can happen in the cup. So that's where the the Hoosiers scenarios happen during the cup, you know. And um, so I, I would like to see the cup being introduced into into the NBA. I dig that, man. I would like it too. It sounds interesting. Just hearing you talk about it, it sounds way way more interesting. So yeah, I do remember the NBA was bringing that up and 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 whatnot. There would have to be some adjustments made, I'm sure, but right. I could see it being really fun to watch. That'd be awesome. Uh, Sean, talk to us about your book, man. So you you have, and we'll also ask you about your coaching too. But you 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 played, you coached, and now, like I said, you're an author. You have a book helping people understand these things. Um, right. talk to us about this book and where we can find it and everything that's in there. So we can, we know how to, how to get this book. Well, I wrote this book as a guide to help all those players, male, female, it doesn't matter who are coming over to Europe to play so that they don't go through the same things I, I went through. Like I said, I didn't have really horror stories except for when I broke my leg, my first season. Um, but other than that, there was, there was, I had good times. But I know a lot of people that don't. And what I was trying to do was to, to, to help people from like the end of their junior year all the way through them getting back home after their first year of European basketball to tell the steps, what's going to happen at this point. That was my main goal. And I think I've, I've done a pretty good job putting that down on paper. And it's called Same Name, Different Game. And it's really like that. It's, it's really the same game is back home but it's different it's it's totally different it's not the same game you're playing on the street ball courts in in iowa or idaho uh compared to over here it's a totally different game and that's what that's what people really have to realize that it's not the same as back home and that's why i wrote the book was just to just to highlight some of the things um how to find an agent how to what happens if you get fired what happens if you get hurt um taxes um all the things that could happen during a whole season and also when you get back home because some guys are making really good money and then when they get home everybody hits them up for money you know yeah. so the, the entrapments as well so that's what I, I i wrote the book for and um i wrote it actually a long time ago i did get it published i think i think 17 years ago or something like that i wrote the book originally and then of course 2020 comes i have a little bit more time on my hands so I revisited it and rebuffed it and did some some a lot of editing and but the the main core of the book stayed the same. That was the interesting part that that the things that I had in there from 17 years ago, 15 years ago, were still relevant. 
and I just had to do more interviews. I had to do updated some some, but but it's a it's a still the guide that that should help athletes, and that's the the main reason why I wrote it. Oh, I love it, man! Same name, different game. Where can you find it? Um, on my website, seanjmccall.com. You can find it there. It's also on sale on Amazon. You can also find it on Barnes and Nobles online. Yeah, and um, so that's that. Those are the three main outlets where I, where it's being sold, uh, as both as an ebook and as a as a paperback. Oh, I dig it, man! This is fantastic. So I'll put this here in the description so you guys can find that um, that book. As you said, you got it at Barnes and Noble, you got it on Amazon, but you also can go to seanjmccaw.com and uh, check it out there as well. So we'll put the links here so everyone knows where to go. Um, I'm going to get myself a copy as well. So I look forward I'm to gonna that. I'm going to send you one. I already knew I, already knew I was going to send you one. I didn't. I meant to send it before we, we did the interview. Oh, well, dude, you let me know how I can make the payment, but that's fine too because no, I, no. I was planning on getting it anyway. So we'll <laughs> just, talk. We'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll chat. But we'll put this in the description here. Now, the last, last question I have, well, it's not the last question, but we're wrapping it up. So I want to just ask on the coaching side of things, the difference between playing at the professional level in Europe and coaching at the professional level in Europe. I, I just want to know because people might think, the best players make make good coaches, but yeah. I always tell people, no, nah, no, nah, dude, listen, the best employees don't always make the best managers, right? Like that's the same concept mm -hmm. at work. You might be a terrible employee, like you don't know the day-to-day -day responsibilities, but you might be a great leader. So you might make a good manager because you understand how to organize certain things and and coach people up. So I just want to know from a coaching perspective, the transition there and and, and what the differences are. Um, I've got to tell you this really quick story. I, my last season, I knew I was going to retire after that last season. I was 34 years old, and I, I wanted to get into coaching. I always wanted to be a coach. That was there was no no issue about that. And I was actually supposed to be um, coming on on the team that I was playing for the next season as an assistant. Long story short, halfway through the season, we're playing in the in the top league in Germany. We didn't have very much money, um, so the quality of players that we had wasn't that good. We're getting killed. They fire the coach mid season. They turn me into the coach. Oh, geez. Um, halfway through the season in the top league in Germany, a guy with no coaching experience, but I was very highly respected. And, and because I was supposed to come on next year as an assistant, it was like, okay, let's turn the keys over. Of course, not the most ideal situation to coach the same guys that I have been partying with and, and you know, battling with for the last two years, but um, they respected me and they did a, a good job, as good a job as we could have done. Um, to make a long story short, I coached the last 15, 15 games in the first league and we dropped down to the second league. If you know anything about the European game, there are, it's not like, it's like every team, every country has their own top league, which is like their yeah. NBA. And then they have multiple tiers under that. So if you, if you're basically on the bottom of the top league, you move down to the second league. So then that's what happened with us. We weren't good enough and we moved down to the second league. And I ended up staying there for another year, but um, the transition was incredible, man. It, it, it was, it was, it was, it's crazy to 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 think as a player. For example, really quick. So I, I I went from playing one game on a Saturday to being head coach Monday morning. That's so crazy. <laughs> and um, for the first weeks, I could not coach. I, I was standing during practice pretty much on the middle of the court because my, my viewpoint up until then was that as a player. So I knew all the angles and things as a player, but as a coach, you're on the sideline. 
So you have to you have to kind of train yourself to see everything from a sideline view. And I couldn't do that the first couple of weeks. And I was running into guys on the court. It was it was <laughs> it was a mess. So um, it's just a it's really a mental thing, like like it like unknown. And and the work that you put in as a coach compared to as a professional is not even close. It's just not even close. You know it. You you coach. There's more in preparation than than anything else i mean cutting yeah. film making scouting reports doing all these things plus media media events things like that that uh, interviews um it's a it's a it's a real real big change and and of course i was not ready for that at, at that time but i made the most of it and, and i think i did a, a decent job that's so cool though what a story though man i, oh, I would have hey, never had any that clue. story that story man i've never heard of that in european basketball anywhere that a guy went from player to coach on the first in the first league of any country and guided them through the rest of the season i've never heard of that wow dude that is crazy i can't even imagine. That was, it's a crazy that's, story man that's stressful too story. holy cow it seems like to me like hearing your story is that's stress but apparently you understood how to like handle yourself your whole entire life from the playing game like everything from the beginning of stages all the way through it's just like super stressful and like unsettling but you've been able to handle yourself like a boss and that's why i think you're in the position that you're in now like you're able to help people because you've been able to go through all those experiences right. where not a lot of people can hack that and you were able to do it very well too i think that's super cool sean um holy crap dude <laughs> yeah, going right to coaching right after you play that is that's tough so here is my last question for you what's the biggest life lesson that basketball has taught you that's a good question man um I think it's because of the, the, the all the transitions that I've had from high school to to a number two ranked team in college to high ranked junior college team to mid major um, division one and then coming over to Austria in the first years I wasn't making making very much money and then it, it wasn't until later that I, I started putting really good money for me. The thing that sports in general and basketball in general have, have taught me was flexibility, patience, and and it's going to sound very cliche-ish, but if you work hard, man, and work efficient, good things are going to happen to you. And and but you've got to put in the work. You, you, it's not just just going to magically appear. You've got to put in the work, and and that is something that truly on in every job not just basketball it can be football it can be being a ceo of a company you've got to put in that work you really got to put in the work and the the more work you put in the more you're going to get out of it i know it sounds like a cliche but but that's that that's been it for me and and that's been very helpful for me and and also for the length of time that i've lived in europe just to be flexible and to the ability to adapt i think that's helped me more more than than anything um could have helped me in, in the when I, if i would have stayed in the states and gotten a normal job i love that i mean the only thing the only constant is change is what they say in life right and a lot of right. people like the stability and whatnot but at the same time i think it doesn't help you grow as much as you possibly can like i think sometimes change does help you grow and if you have that flexibility that will help you grow even faster and more than you could even imagine. And so the fact that basketball has been able to take you through those experiences and allow you to 
learn that on the fly. Like you got to be flexible. You got to adapt. That's life. And then you got to also mm-hmm. work hard at the same time. Like you can't just sit there and think no. it's going to be handed to you. And obviously that worked for you because not everybody has those types of careers like you've had. Um, and it's, and it's really cool to see how that's taking you through and, and learn more about your story. So Sean, I just want to say thank you, man. Like, thank you for taking your time. You know, you're on the other side of the world. It's, it's in the evening at the time we're recording this. It's, it's in the middle of the day for me, evening for you. And I just, <laughs> I appreciate your time and being willing to, to share your story with us, man. No problem. I, I appreciate the, the platform to tell my story and maybe, maybe it'll help somebody when they want to come overseas. And I'm, I'm open. I'm on Instagram, same name, different game. If anybody wants to hit me up and, and, and talk shop or ask questions, I'm more than happy to to help anyone out that, that's that's in need of information. No problem. Oh, for sure. And I will put your link here for your Instagram mm-hmm. in, the, in the podcast description. But I would highly encourage you guys to follow him on Instagram. That's where I, I start following him. And I'm like, OK, I need to get this guy on my show 100 percent. Like this isn't even <laughs> a question. So, um, yeah, I, I would highly encourage everybody to follow you because they'll learn stuff. It's just fun to follow people and kind of see the information they can give. And obviously you're an expert in your field and that's super helpful for a lot of people. So for everybody out there listening, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Sean. Again, if if you guys enjoyed it, please leave me a review on Apple podcasts. Just let, just leave a simple review. Obviously five stars always helps, but just leave me a review. um, And let's get this podcast out to more people as we continue to grow. My goal for 2022 was to get this into a hundred countries. We're in 92 right now. The more it grows, the more we can get it out there and uh, people can hear different stories. So that being said, I'm Shane Larson, and it's the Game Time Guru. We'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.